This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. My name is Professor Andrew Beckerman Rodeau. I would like to introduce Walter Madonna, a Suffolk University Law School alum and former adjunct professor of copyright law at Suffolk. His podcast is entitled 100 Years of Statutory Licensing Under Copyright Law. The best place to start would be in Ottawa, Canada, about three weeks ago where Charlie Timmons, who's an NDP Minister of Parliament, along with Billy Bragg and members of the Canadian Songwriters Association, gave a press conference at the Parliament talking about the potential policy choices that Canada is going to make in the upcoming year according to the revision of copyright law. And one of the things that was discussed was the proposal that uh, the Future Music Coalition and the Canadian Songwriters Association, a lot of other organizations have proposed, goes back to what's commonly referred to as one of the alternative compensation mechanisms. And basically the idea of establishing a levy on peer-to-peer file sharing so that people would pay an extra fee on the monthly cable bills in much the same way that they may pay more per month in the cable bill to get HBO, for example. And that money would be set up into a pool and distributed on a prorated basis according to how many times somebody's music was downloaded. Now, what's interesting is that the United States is in kind of a unique position because we have 100 years of working with statutory licensing, which began with the 1909 Act. And it's interesting because the roots of statutory licensing for copyright law in the United States go back to a time when we had the appearance of play of pianos in the first phonograph records. And at that time, we were still operating under the original 1790 Act with some revisions that had been done up to that time, but there really was no way of compensating for that type of technology because it was unclear with a play a piano or a phonograph for that matter. I mean, it wasn't something that could be readily perceived. It was printed music or a photograph. It was something that was actually almost punched into a code type of form. So because it wasn't readily observable, the courts had ruled and people disagreed about whether or not that actually fell within the purview of copyright law. But after a, a number of years of hearings that were held by the Congress. Eventually, what was implemented in the 1909 Act was what we now know as the compulsory licensing. And compulsory licensing allowed people to use a musical work copyright after it had been originally used once by the copyright owner, and then it would be an exception to the monopoly of exclusive rights. And a licensee could use it and pay a set rate to use that musical work. And of course, even though it was mostly designed for play pianos, it really came into being with phonograph records. And for the last hundred years, from 1909 to 2009, we've operated not just under that compulsory license, but you know, since the 1960s and the 70s, we have developed other compulsory licenses as well. For example, we use statutory licensing for webcasting and satellite radio broadcasting for the use of sound recording. So we have, in the United States, 100 years of experience with statutory licensing. And it's interesting at this time when there's been many proposals put in place, whether it's three strikes in your route or other enforcement-type mechanisms to deal with peer-to-peer file sharing. Many people have proposed that we use some form of statutory licensing to deal with peer-to-peer file sharing. In other words, the statutory licensee could be either the ISP or the customer of the ISP in in such a way, rather than try to effectively kill peer-to-peer file sharing through litigation and enforcement, to try to monetize it and to bring those revenues into the music industry and try to replace a lot of the revenues that have disappeared because of the 
declining sales of the physical CD product. So it's interesting in that not only is this the 100th anniversary of statutory licensing, it's also the 10th anniversary of Napster. The backdrop here is very interesting because more and more countries have actually taken a good look at this. And I mean, I know it's been discussed to some degree in Washington, but in Ottawa, in the Isle of Man, in Scandinavia, a few other places, governments have actually looked at this as being a possible solution. And it's interesting because the United States is the one country that has a century of experience with compulsory licensing that may be applied to the situation. In this proposal, what would happen is you'd play an undetermined amount of money, anywhere from $5 to $10 per month, and you could use peer-to-peer file sharing to download as much as you possibly wanted. It's an interesting proposal. And it's also interesting what else is going on now because what we've seen in the last year with Spotify and a lot of these other services, what they're talking about is programs that are ad-based models, not really unlimited streaming because they don't seem to have, if, if you look at the internet as a library, let's say, almost everything is there. I mean, they, what Napster was like in its final days was incredible. It's one of the biggest repositories of, of music in, in probably human history. But the models we're seeing proposed right now are streaming models, which even though they have very robust and large catalogs, they still don't equal what everything that's out there. And, and also that the compensation mechanism is really based upon advertising. And as we saw in this current recession, one of the areas that really has got knocked about has been the broadcasting industry. We saw the bankruptcy of Citadel the other day, which was based upon declining ad revenue. But the other thing, too, that's problematic about the other current proposals is that they have a tendency to drastically reduce the artist royalties. The songwriters and the, and the recording artists probably will make less money and are making less money on those streaming-based models. The peer-to-peer concept, I think, is preferable because not only do people have the unlimited ability to see everything, but also it could raise more money, not just for the copyright owners, but also for the recording artists and the songwriters as well. And I think that's one of the reasons it's such a compelling idea. But what's happening as well is we have other political battles that are being fought in the background of this, like, I guess, the eminent introduction of the ACTA multilateral treaty, which we're going to see at some point in the Senate in 2010, as well as, you know, the ongoing debate over net neutrality and really a series of very, very important debates that just don't impact copyright law, but also impact telecom. Because let's face it, I mean, telecom has become the distribution point for music now. As we see these potentially huge battles play out next year throughout the world, but particularly in the United States, it's going to be very interesting to see what direction are we headed in. Are we heading in a direction of cloud computing where there's a massive amount of control over what you can and can't do, three strikes and you're out, you're thrown off the network, more functionality of a computer being done remotely as opposed from the actual PC itself. I mean, are we going to live in a world where consumers are going to, and even artists for that matter, are going to concede control and we're going to have a system based upon more enforcement and less choice. So 2010 really, I think, is looking to be one of the most important years we're ever going to have in copyright law, not just here in the United States, but throughout the world. When you look historically, and again, nothing's perfect and, and there's been problems along the way. There's no solution that, that ever really works 100%. But I think when you look back at the last 100 years of statutory licensing, I mean, what led to the creation of a very large and successful record industry in the United States. The compulsory licenses that were introduced for television led to the growth of cable television, satellite TV. And I would say that even though it has not been a perfect process because I've been very much involved in it, the statutory licenses that were passed in the 1990s did help stimulate the growth of webcasting and satellite radio in the United States. It has not been a perfect process, but nonetheless, it's better than in other countries that don't have any kind of rules whatsoever. I would suggest that compulsory licensing has found a way of 
stimulating technological development in the content industry and at the same time providing a fairly reasonable amount of compensation for copyright owners and for creators who have worked within the purview of work for hire agreements or who have made outright transfers to the big multinational entertainment corporations. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.